I'm Carol Coletta, and this is Night Cities. How do you create a radically open platform for building new cultural capital on an island off the tip of Manhattan? That's been the job of Leslie Koch, president of the Trust for Governors Island, a nonprofit organization created by the city of New York to run what is an historic former military base being transformed into a park by and for New Yorkers. Leslie, for those who haven't yet visited the park, describe Governor's Island. Governor's Island is a 172-acre island in the middle of New York Harbor. It's about a five-minute boat ride, both from Lower Manhattan and from Brooklyn, and it's a former military base. So for its entire history, it was literally off-limits to the public, not part of the transportation system of New York, and more fundamentally, not part of the psychology of the city of New York, really until mid-2005 is when it first opened to the public. Take a minute to describe what what is actually on the island because it becomes this it becomes important to the rest of the story. So Governor's Island, the most important thing to remember is it's shaped like an ice cream cone. The 172 acres, the ice cream is a national historic district, uh, and that was protected under national and local law back in the 90s uh, for a variety of structures built by the U.S. Army, which ranged from three forts uh, constructed to protect New York City uh, in what became the War of 1812, uh, a variety of officers' houses and other military structures. In the middle of that national historic district, two of those forts actually are a national monument, So 22 acres of the island is, in fact, owned and managed by the National Park Service, uh, not by us. And then the cone, uh, which is the remaining half of the island, is landfill. And the island was doubled in size in 1905. Uh, And on the cone, originally, uh, when I first began working here, there was an enormous number of derelict buildings uh, and old sports fields. And that was, in effect, closed to the public when a spectacular 30-acre park, the first phase of park design by West 8, which opened uh, in the summer of 2014. And uh, there's areas set aside for development, uh, new construction on the cone part of the island, as well as, oops, I forgot to mention, in those historic buildings, we have um, over 50 of them, 1.4 million square feet, and about three quarters of them still uh, need to find permanent uses. Uh, We have tenants uh, and programming, uh, as well as some future leases in about a quarter of the buildings. But my job is really an economic development job. Most people think of my job as kind of being a park and culture job, but it's really more a strategy where we chose to lead with public uses, culture, and design as a way to activate a place in the harbor that had not been part of the public experience or really the psychology of uh, this incredible city. Leslie, I think one of the most interesting parts of this story is uh, is the way in which you are leading with art and culture and design to interest potential private development, but also the way in which you conceive of the park as a platform. And, you know, that's a notion that you hear often, oh, you know, whether it's attached to Facebook or Twitter or any number of things, uh, these things as platforms. Talk about how you think about Governor's Island as a platform. 
Yes, we've really uh, focused on this notion of platform because we were really lacking a metaphor um, to describe what is this place. Obviously, it's an island, um, but when you look at sort of the convergence of the world in sort of public spaces, um, you've talked a lot about the notion of a civic commons and sort of gathering places, and you can go back in history, you know, the Agora, um, the sort of uh, the Zocalo uh, in Latin America. And so we started with this notion that uh, we would have an open invitation, invitations even too specific because it's completely open uh, for anyone who wants to share with the public. Um, and that approach is actually kind of heterodoxical uh, for most institutions. So uh, traditionally cultural institutions, of course, curate, um, select uh, their experiences. Other institutions, let's say libraries, think of their primary mission or have until very recently as the provision of information, uh, whether it's in printed or digital form. And then of course, parks have traditionally, quite frankly, been not very hospitable to what's called programming and events. Those conflict with the maintenance of grass. So we didn't really have an example to turn to. So we sort of created our own metaphor. And this idea that it's this visible platform, if you can sort of imagine like a raft, right? It's not literally a stage because our forms of culture are much more diverse than the performing arts floating in the harbor and uh, the audience who are largely New Yorkers participate in this experience that we say is the island created by and for New Yorkers, New York City's shared space for art and play. And the reason that platform is such an appropriate metaphor is because this is a place that belongs to no one. No one lives here. Um, so in effect, it belongs to everyone. It's a platform because there's enormous visibility for the projects that take place here, traditional media visibility, and an incredibly diverse citywide audience. So it enables those organizations that create an experience, whether it's a unicycle festival or a sculpture exhibition or a food festival or workshop, use that as a platform uh, to reach a very diverse uh, citywide audience that extends even beyond the participants uh, in the actual experience. So that's why I think platform kind of enables us to kind of articulate this larger impact than even what happens when you're out here on a typical Saturday. Does that begin to answer your question? It does. Now, you just confirm for me, you don't pay the people who ask to use your space. Is that correct? That is correct. Open House GI uh, is the program. We offer 150,000 square feet of indoor space in former officers' homes and 20 acres of green space, free of charge to any organization that wants to create an experience that's free and open to the public. We don't curate, select, or fund any of those experiences. And you require them only to have insurance? Yep, they have to have insurance. They have to be able to fill out a permit. And uh, if you've ever organized uh, perhaps a Little League game, I don't know if that's in your in your past, um, You, the permit would be familiar to you. It's not different from the kind of permit you would see really in any municipal park in the United States. And the insurance requirement is pretty much the same that you would have for your Little League game. So we try to make it really simple and really transparent. Is your experience now, Leslie, transferable to other parks and other cities? Our experience is very transferable to any kind of public space. So that would include parks. I think it would include college campuses, libraries, schools. Um, I think it can also include malls, really any places where the public gathers. Um, and of course, cultural institutions as well. And it's transferable because what we've seen is that by having this openness, uh, we are, again, creating that platform for people who have 
So uh, when you and I first talked a couple of years ago, I think I made it up on the spot, but I've used this phrase since then. Nobody else has taken me up on this phrase, but I'll keep trying. I call them programming entrepreneurs. What's a programming entrepreneur? Well, you have a passion. I'll tell my unicycling story because it's one of my favorites. So I was reading the newspaper one day a few years ago, and there was a guy who said, you know, New York City, what New York City really needs is a boulevard for unicycles. I had no idea who this guy was. I looked up his name. I sent him an email. I said, I don't really have a boulevard, but I have an island. What would you like to do? The New York City Unicycle Festival is now in its fifth year. I actually have never met. I think I've once said hello to Keith, but Keith's passion, he actually, his day job is running a circus. So he's maybe a little bit less typical of some of our other entrepreneurs, but Keith's passion is unicycles. Michael's passion is historic costume. Somebody else's passion is immersive math. I can keep on going because our definition of culture includes composting, math, history, um, not the sort of traditional high culture. And what you see is that there are people who have, I guess the old world, right, from our generation was hobbyists, right? But the difference now is that they, we are giving them a platform, we're giving them space, but because of online media, they can create an audience. I mean, you have no idea how many unicyclists there are in the tri-state area, but they know each other. They just don't have anywhere to be together. There's no place for them to be. So they're, you know, unicycling off in, you know, Nassau County and Queens, and they come together. So this idea that people have passions, we're giving them a platform and a space free of charge, and their compensation, so to speak, is that they are interacting with the public. And so we have a rich array of organizations that are sort of nascent organizations. And at the same time, we have a rich array of established institutions that are viewing Governor's Island as a different kind of platform, an informal platform where they're reaching a local audience and able to engage with them around what their expertise is, Again, history, photography, the International Center of Photography is a good example, um, who's been out here for three seasons in a very different way than they can do in a traditional institutional framework. I mean, even the Brooklyn Public Library is out here with a pop-up library that they have. It's called an uni, um, and they have reading hour right on a lawn uh, overlooking the harbor. So uh, we see both these programming entrepreneurs as well as these more established institutions creating experiences that are distinctly different than what they might do in a traditional space if they're an established organization, or in the case of these programming entrepreneurs, there really is no, there's only virtual space for them. And, you know, I'm really biased, but you know what? People want to gather in real space. We can talk a lot about the guy in Iowa who's passionate about X and he's, you know, trading messages with somebody in, you know, Kenya about their mutual passion for ham radios. But the reality is humans still want to be with other humans. And it's amazing to see the kinds of experiences that they create out here. The fact that you have an open invitation to programming entrepreneurs to come and use the island only with a permit and a small insurance policy is um, certainly suggests that you're welcoming. But you talk about the park as being radically welcoming to diverse visitors. How do you achieve that? What does that mean to you? You know, radically welcoming is a great phrase, and I may steal it from you. The only problem I have is that every time I go to another place, I'm sort of dismayed by how organizations are not aware of all the little signals where they tell me that I'm not welcome or I'm not welcome enough. So we believe passionately that this is a shared space for New Yorkers created by and for them. 
And we really think about, you know, every single inch of that experience, every single encounter is being part of that. And that includes, you know, our security staff, our boat crew, everyone understands that their mission is to welcome the public. If you're on a security staff, obviously you have another mission, which is to make sure that everyone goes home in one piece and uh, safely. Um, I, that is also the mission of our boat crew. But I would say, and I'll, I use the example of food um, because I am kind of obsessed with food, but I think that food is the best signal to someone that they are truly welcome in a space. And what I mean by that is if I'm going to a place, I want to see food that I'm interested in, that I recognize, and that I can afford. And that's a way of saying that I'm welcome in a space. Um, and so on Governor's Island, you can have organic ice cream. It's delicious. I love it. You can have Mr. Softy. You can have organic sandwiches. You can also have two different kinds of Caribbean jerk chicken or jerk tofu, goat curry on Saturdays, but you can also have dirty water hot dogs. And what we found, and I tell this story a lot because it shows the length that we go to make sure that everyone feels welcome. For a number of years, the island's been very popular with uh, the religious community, Hasidic and Orthodox Jews uh, who come particularly from Brooklyn. And we didn't have a food vendor uh, who met uh, kosher standards. Uh, and I was very frustrated and I personally got involved trying to find one. And so for a couple of years, we actually had a believe it or not, a kosher vending machine um, that dispensed knishes. But I didn't think that was adequate. I didn't think that all of our visitors were having an equivalent experience. So we actually reached out to a member of the city council in New York who uh, represents uh, Borough Park, which is a very religious community. And he did a press release. And as a result of his press release, um, Schnitzies were, uh, was here all season, obviously only on uh, Sundays, uh, not on Shabbat, offering kosher food. And so that's an example where if people talk about, you know, kind of strategy and engagement and all these other words, you know, for me, it's all about knishes. Um, it's all about what are all the different ways and how your staff works with the public, how the space is designed, what's offered to the public that really signals a true welcome. And I'm sad to say that that I think many public institutions don't think hard enough about this and don't realize the signal that they're sending unwittingly to members of the public um, about whether they, they are truly welcome in their space. If you were given, Leslie, an underused park, let's say in Philadelphia, with the mandate to animate it and increase its use, where would you begin? Well, we started, we asked a fundamental question, which was, what does New York City not have? And then the second question we asked was, and that, and that was like, in those days, a heretical question, right? Because New York is the snottiest place in America. You know, so New York has everything, right? So we started that question. And then the second question we asked was, and would it make sense on an island, right? Because there's certainly plenty of things, New Yorkers don't like to admit this, that you that don't exist here, but might not make sense on an island. And then we really asked the question, how can I convince you, Carol Coletta, that it's worth your time to come here on a Saturday? You know, that's how people think. People don't think in terms of PowerPoint strategies and ma programming matrices. They get up in the morning and they say, what is there that's fun to do, right? In the, in the case of a park and or a cultural institution or really entertainment, right? And so if you talk about the entertainment business, they're very comfortable with this kind of conversation. And so what I would do if I went into us, if I was in a place I didn't know, I would start with those questions. What is missing, right, from the city, right? If I, if I put in a carousel and there's a carousel across the street or on the other side of town, that's probably not going to be that interesting. That's not going to be very distinctive. Does it make sense in this place? And is this really going to be worth it, right, for people to make the journey um, from wherever they are? In our case, the journey is quite 
obvious, right? You have to get on a boat where we don't get uh, people who wander by uh, because uh, we're not part of a neighborhood in that way. But I think really being honest with that and really not only asking those questions to the community, but also kind of sort of doing, you said, radical welcoming, like deep observing. One of the things that I learned, uh, one of my chapters in my career was in software. And we found that people weren't very good at telling us what they wanted in software, but they were very good at telling us how frustrated they were with how their software worked. And we also really developed powers of observation because what we found was that as you watched how people struggled, you also learned as much if not more than from just listening to what they said. So that I think is also very important that you really are open to the kind of observation where you put aside whatever your preconceived notions are um, of what, because a lot of times you'll find that what you think a problem is uh, may not, people may describe it very differently and there's a variety of solutions to that. I, I think the fundamental thing I'd say is have a truly open mind and really, really listen and take it seriously, not a political listening tour, you know, on a bus um, that's kind of only a, you know, kind of cliche. What's next for Governor's Island? Uh, well, Governor's Island is always reinventing itself. So uh, we're close to the public at the moment. Uh, we had an incredible season in 2014. We'll open up our permit process again. We Someone just asked me uh, before this conversation, well, what's what's happening next year? And I said, I have absolutely no idea. And uh, that, so I'm as excited and surprised as anyone. We're working on our next phase of park. And of course, as I mentioned, this is an economic development project. So in creating this culture and making this place, right, this once abandoned island, kind of this dynamic place that people in New York are talking about, ultimately we're trying to make it an attractive place, not only for you to come on a summer Saturday, but for 24 seven activity, 365 days a year. So our current tenants are expanding, we'll have uh, year-round artist studio programs. We have a public high school uh, that will increase its student body. And our first tenant is a commercial tenant. Our first commercial tenant is a destination day spa. So we're working with them on you know everything involved uh, before they can begin construction. Um, and that, of course, is an incredible form of recreation. I'm personally very excited about it, but is really also a, an affirmation of our strategy that you can take a place that people thought was just a sort of white elephant that no one would go to and make it a dynamic place that people not only enjoy on Saturdays, but uh, businesses are beginning to see as, as an appropriate venue uh, for all kinds of activity. Leslie, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks so much for being our guest on Night Cities. Thank you so much, Carol. Leslie Koch is president of the Trust for Governors Island. You can follow us on Twitter at hashtag Night Cities and at Coletta. Find out first when new conversations are posted by signing up for our newsletter at knightfoundation.org forward slash features forward slash Night Cities. You've been listening to Night Cities. I'm Carol Coletta.